The FujiCast is an independent loading zone production. Kev, just a question for you. Uh, at what stage does uh, COVID walk out the room when it says, "Look, I've had, I've had, a, I've, I've done, I've done what I need to do today. I'm just going to sort of sidle out here. Is that okay? I'll see you later on." Because I'm having some really, really... I don't want to sound flippant, obviously, because this is... Um, it's still a serious disease, clearly. But I, I've, I've been going to weddings where people have gradually now, Kev, they've been unmasking. There, there's the one I went to the other day. No mask at all, apart from one person who was the... Um, I will let you have a word in, in Edgeways in a minute. Uh, who was the makeup artist who started the day wearing it and then she just put it under her chin when the last bit of lipstick was done. As if to say, well, I've done my lippy now. I suppose COVID's walked off. Yeah, it is a tough one, isn't it? It's, um, I don't know. Well, I've only done two weddings and they, the first one was very, was in a hotel and it was very well organised. Everybody was wearing masks apart from when they were sat down, etc., etc. And the second one was actually all outdoors. So that was fine. They they weren't wearing masks. Um, and I didn't wear a mask for that second one. Still airborne, no Kev. Still airborne. Yeah, it is still airborne. But, you, you know, the outside stuff, pff, you know, I'm not concerned so much about that. But then, like, last... When was it? A few... I don't know, last weekend? It was when the, the world opened up. It was the first Saturday, wasn't it, after the, um, the restrictions were down? Yeah. And all of the pubs and clubs and everything thousands of people you know so yeah honestly i'm just sick to death of it it can do one now i have to say but we do need to still be careful i think we've all said it can do one kev I don't think I don't I don't think it's listen, it's listening to us though. The Fuji cast at all, but I just wonder, you know, that masking thing is a serious question, though, Kev. You know, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And people need to feel comfortable. And you know, I know. Well, we we both know um, photographers who have been, you know, pinged and have been have had to yeah. go into isolation, and they're going to lose weddings and and all that kind of stuff. It's just a mess dodging bullets dodging bullets dodging bullets yeah but bullets yeah oh i ate it kev i ate it Mm. can we have our old life back i like the old life i know we used to bitch and moan about it about it now and that's a horrible word sorry but but i did i did like it i really did i know but although no i am back working i did i'm kind of missing sitting at home doing nothing (laughs) in your (laughs) in your underwear (laughs) uh right welcome to the fuji cast you and your questions from our electronic mailbag and, of course, also through the Fujicast private Facebook group that you're welcome to become a part of. If you'd like to send a mail, send it to click at fujicast.co.uk. If you don't shoot Fujifilm, what on earth is the matter with you? No, don't worry. It's a big community, and whatever flavour you shoot, you are very welcome. Kev's Book of the Week this week, what do we have? Oh, it's a big one. It's apps. You say this every week. It's all... Oh, massive. It's going to be a small uh, ladybird book, isn't it? <laughs> it's not, honestly. It's e- e- enormous. Um, it's Elliot Owitz Colour. Elliot Owitz, sorry. I'd... Colour. Colour. Oh. The book is called Colour, with a K. With a K? Yeah. That's a bit like those uh, fancy um, uh, hairdressers, isn't it? Cuts with a K and a Z. And a Z uh, just to be... I think it's something to do with Kodachrome. I don't know. But... I think so. Yeah. And today we hear... Oh. <laughs> is that your foot? <laughs> I just put it back down. All right. And today we hear from Adrian Arbib, who is a documentary photographer, don't you know? Right, where do we start with questions, Kev? Is it you or me? I must say we are... Uh, summer holidays are always like this. It's almost like people say, well, I can't be writing in now. I'm too busy. Uh, I'll listen, but I won't, I won't write. We, we do need, uh, as always, questions, thoughts, things that you're doing 
stuff to stuff to keep uh, it's it's the lifeblood of the show i'm gonna have to roll that phrase out kev it's the lifeblood of the show indeed yeah it? well don't forget you can there's there's basically three ways you can you can get questions to us you mm. can send an email to click at fidgecast.co.uk you can uh, post it on the facebook group um not all of you are members of facebook of course but there is a dedicated thread on there for questions for the show which we work through yeah. and if you want to get your questions ahead of the, uh, the the line in front of everybody else you can send them in via patreon so if you are a patron thank you very much to all of those that are and you send a question via the patron page they are guaranteed to be featured in the very next show there or, we go. Or, or you could do what james souls did and just send beer you could do what james souls did and send beer with a Indeed. question yeah with a Indeed. list of questions yes yeah, yeah. sending beer is going to get you yeah that will even beat the patrons <laughs> <laughs> that's the language we know yeah right um shall i start yeah go for it one from peter peter foot now we're not sure that we might have dealt with this one because it's been hanging around in the inbox for quite a while but it might be because it was quite political that i thought oh we'll get to that oh, we'll get to that or maybe we'll get to that next week. But I'm, I'm going to try and pricey it just a little bit. It was a question about, um, uh, is the show sponsored by Fujifilm? I, if it isn't, um, his recommend, Peter's recommendation this is, uh, it would be to change the name, which I'm sure would open it up to a much wider audience, significantly increase your income with a Patreon, and here I confess self-interest, he says, ensure the show remains viable. Did you use the word viable? You saw that? Are you sure it's not Rishi Shunak right? Yeah, I think Rishi sent this for many years to come. Peter, a.k.a. Rishi. Did, <laughs> funny enough, did you see, I put on uh, Facebook yesterday the, uh, the, four, the list of the four most furloughed uh, industries. Um, I'm just going to get it back up now. Hold on a second. Were we in there? <laughs> Pro- probably not. <laughs> we are. It made me laugh. Hang on. Right. The wedding industry is. as a whole could be in there, I suppose. No, no, no. It was, oh, Facebook. Where is my post? Right. So this is on the news yesterday. Top yeah. five industry groups with the highest rates of jobs being put on furlough. Yeah. Have a guess. What do you think number one is? Oh, I don't know. It must be something to do with the entertainment and, and industry, surely. Or... Air passenger transport. Oh. 57% of oh. furloughed uh, is uh, air passengers. Or not air passengers, but people, people who work in the air industry. Well, we, we have a... Is it a guy locally here? There's certainly somebody that... Um, he's, he's had his stall here. The, the pizza pilot. Guy who, who, yeah. was, um, who was flying international long, long-haul stuff. Mm. Who said, uh, "That's it. I'm, I'm not working." Um, he was so he set up a a, a pizza a van, called himself Pizza Pilot, with one of those pizza ovens that cooks it in like under a minute. One of those mm. sort of fifteen hundred degree things. He probably put one of his afterburners from an Airbus on it, <laughs> and, and he, that's what he's been doing. So yeah, the, se- the second, second one with one. also fifty seven percent is hotels. That doesn't surprise me. All right, so 57% of all hotel staff have been mm. furloughed. Wow. 57% of all air passenger transport staff have been furloughed. Yeah. Third is, with 51% of all staff furloughed, is travel agency and tour operators. Oh, of course, yeah. Joint fourth and fifth, both with 43% of uh, all all people being furloughed, yeah. is photographic industries <laughs> and pubs. And pubs. So 43% of photographic industry staff yes. have been furloughed, along with 43% of pub staff. What makes me laugh, makes me chuckle like a fanatic, right. is that, you know, Rishi... Oh, yes. What did he say, Kev? Your industry is unviable. Yes, he did. Yeah. And I'm very happy with the fact that 43% of the industry have, have put their hands out and taken money off him. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, it doesn't make me feel any any happier. No, of course it doesn't. But, uh, you know, actually, in saying all of that, in fairness to the government, you know, they have helped massively, it has to be said. Not well, to everybody, of course. No. But, you know, there are, there, are, there are countries around the world where the government have not helped at all. No. And, you know, you, 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 you just be in a whole world of pain then. So, you know, we have to be thankful of something. I think they've, they've well, we're not going to get political, but I think they've managed the whole fiasco very terribly. But other than that, they've given money away, which is pretty good going. Well, they didn't give money to me, Kev. I had to loan it from them. Well, yeah, same, <laughs> same. But, it, you know, 43% is, is yeah. good. Yeah, that that is. Yeah, and the it it has been said that the furlough system is is one of the one of the leading furlough systems in the world. Not that that makes me feel any better about this whole no. travesty of a period. My um, bank's back loans well and truly going out now every month. Yeah, mine is. Yeah. Off it goes. Yeah. Um, anyway, going back to Peter's question. Yeah, sorry, Peter. Uh, returning back to the yeah, what, what, what I, don't, I don't, I can't remember how we got onto the. Oh, because we thought it came from Rishi. Sorry, yeah. Yes. Well, we've talked about this before, haven't we, Kevin? We we sort of wrestled with um, in the early days, calling it something like mirrorless. That was a bit of a blair kind of title, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, we have talked about it several times, and 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 the fact that well, let's answer the question. Answer yeah. the question first. No, we are not sponsored by Fujifilm. No. Nope. Um, however, they are very very good to us. Yes. So um, they will help us when we have our little events and potentially, hopefully, big events in the future. Yeah. And you know, they they will come on the podcast. Yeah. You know, we've had yeah. Carl do that amazing video um, series. We've had. Andreas on several times he's going to be coming on again towards yeah. the end of I August his, I think yeah, I think it's his fourth appearance Andreas and it's always a it's a, it's always good value that that show the Ask Andreas one yeah absolutely well that's because they always get shares on Fuji rumors <laughs> so our numbers go through the roof there <laughs> yeah. which is great yeah. so no we're not sponsored by them they don't they don't kind of um, give us money or anything but they do they are very helpful to us and you know the brutal fact is if we were you know we like to say that we are brand agnostic in that anybody can listen and you know yes most of the tech questions are fujifilm related mm. but the rest of it isn't it is you know it's it's industry specific yeah but the fact is if we were called mirrorless or something like that and somebody sent in a question saying how do you do back button focus on my sony ar64 we wouldn't, we wouldn't know something we wouldn't know we'll have a clue no yeah would not have a scooby dooby doo and then where are you where am i scooby doo <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's that's my thought on it, really. Well, it's I feel always, like we've I think, got a niche, yeah, or a niche. A, a niche, yeah, a niche. Uh, it's always made sense because of your involvement with, with Fujifilm. So that that was, I suppose that was one of the original sort of deciding factors of it. I mean, the fact that we, we get on as mates and produce a podcast, we could have done one about weddings, but I think something that had wider appeal, generally talking about photography, and was always more interesting, wasn't it? And I, I know we've, we've sometimes been accused of talking about weddings far too much, but that's yeah, but because of what we do. The, you know, especially the interviews, you know, the guests are, are very rarely hmm. wedding-specific yeah. these days. Um, but, yeah, so that's that's really the, the answer to it. Um, I, think, I, you, I think it just feels right. right. You know, it's, if it was wider yeah. reaching, we probably would get more out of it, but I don't think it would be quite as good. I, I, I think we've both decided it's it's good the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. That's answered that one. That's kicked the can down the road for another 12 months on the question of <laughs> why do we call it the Fuji cast? That question <laughs> will return very soon. Yeah. 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 Um, but, Peter, don't worry. It's not going anywhere. 
at the moment. <laughs> Why did you go quiet? <laughs> Sorry, I, my, I muted my mic because I, I was sneezing. <laughs> oh, I see. All right. I thought, I thought That's on. what I do now. I mute the mic instead of just sneeze all over you and expect you to edit it out. <laughs> <laughs> or go and take a test. Kev sneezed over me. It might be down a line from Bunker Malmesbury, but you never know. It's clever these days. It could go through the wire. Oh, right, go on your me. question. Right. Uh, as I always do, I will start with the latest uh, addition to the questions on the Facebook group. And this was posted four hours ago as of recording by John Wayne. <laughs> no, I'm not, not saying Not the John Wayne. No, no I know. Yeah. No. Uh, get off your oh. horse. Drink your milk. John, I'm so sorry for him doing that. But you, know, there must probably... have been times at school where you thought, oh, why was I called the same name as one of the most famous actors in the world i, I went to school with a guy called mark spencer a <laughs> 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 lovely bloke actually yeah. really good footballer anyway yeah john says uh, do you think new fuji users make it more difficult for themselves when they retain their old uh, nikon canon sony etc and carry on using both systems yeah. i currently have two pals having issues like this but maybe they cling on to their former brand as a comfort blanket what do you think well i did for a quite a long while kev actually use canon so this is going back to my sort of original changeover period if you like where i used canon and fuji and then i just used fuji film and then and then i'm sort of using both again quite happy. i mean i think they can coexist kev that's a bit like a, a pilot who's rated on several different types of aircraft who's, who's more than capable to 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 use both I, I i don't know if they have to be I don't know if you have to be entirely exclusive just because you like to use a camera system. I suppose it's more about using them at the same time. So that, that pilot well, yeah. isn't going to be flying two planes at the same time, is he? No, no. Well, I wouldn't know. No, on that on that note, no. I, I never have and never would go out with two different bits of kit. Having said that, I've just, I'm going to contradict myself a bit here, that I, I do love taking the X100V with me. And I will use that in the in the evening just to change it up a bit. And move amongst the um, move amongst the wedding guests with a with an entirely different camera. So I've just contradicted myself there. But but no, on the whole, no, I would keep them. I would keep them separate, and I'd use one thing for one job and one thing for another job. And I feel quite comfortable with that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's horses for courses, isn't it? For people, I I, I haven't used mixed systems. I did it right at the very beginning. I don't know, two thousand and twelve, whatever it was. Um, I don't recall it being particularly difficult um but i couldn't do it now there's no way uh, i could use a dslr especially probably i'd be all right with another mirrorless camera probably if i learned how to use it but i certainly don't think i could do mirrorless and dslr no. um i'm too used to you know seeing the exposures and all of that kind of stuff now and metering and uh, yeah I, I would find it difficult whether it's a comfort blanket for people or not who knows maybe you know some people might just like using both and they have a different requirement for it yeah but yeah it's not not for me really think of it like golf really am i going to use that iron or or that iron you sometimes you use the the bit of kit that that suits you for the job at the time um I'd God, golf. I'd rather watch Freezer Defrost. <laughs> yeah. We've never played golf together, have we, Kev? Oh my God. It's not even it's not really a sport, is it? Golf? Uh, well I've got I've got my dad's my, my late dad's clubs. Um they've never really got an awful lot of use. And I know he dearly would have loved to have played golf with his son, but I just haven't I've never really taken it up. You now these people that say, Would like I was we'll spend a couple of hours playing golf each week. I I'm I'm with you. I've never I've never I've just not been bitten by it, Kev, really. I I just <laughs> 
Uh, we're gonna get, are gonna get into so much. We are, we are with golf. I know, especially from Steve Vaughan. Yeah, Steve Vaughan's a golfer, isn't he? He likes to go off and yeah. do the golf. Um, My mate Postman Matt, he's a big golfer. Yeah, see, of course, he, he right. Postman's in the morning and he plays yeah. golf in the afternoon. Fantastic, wonderful. Yeah. I know, and, and footballers tend to spend all their spare time, don't they, playing golf with each other? Yeah, and MPs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Politicians. <laughs> That's, that's what true. they do. <clears throat> Being careful here not to go. Um, is golf an Olympic sport, by the way? Uh, I think it is this year, isn't it? I, I noticed, so. like, last night... put in there, yeah. We, we won... Didn't we win a gold or silver for, for BMX racing? And I was thinking... Is this oh, one? no, that's a sport. No, BMX. It's not. It's a pastime, Kev. No, they make... They sweat. If you Do sweat, they? it's a sport. Is it? Well, the, the the blokes that play darts sweat, and they only walk up to the hockey the <laughs> every so often, don't they? There's a different reason for them sweating. <laughs> <laughs> Anything you, you can play in a pub should not be classed as a sport. <laughs> <laughs> you can't BMX in a pub. <laughs> well, there we go. Maybe BMX is a sport, though. But darts, not a sport, really. Come on, no. snooker, not a sport. Sorry. Anything darts, you can darts isn't in the Olympics, and neither is snooker. Though. And anything you can play with a with, a, with a, a glass of beer in one hand. I'm sorry, that's not classed as a sport. <laughs> we'll get in trouble for that one as well. Yeah. Uh, cool. Yeah. The well, Olympics they've done brilliantly though so far. I haven't British watched team. any of it, Kev, because it's just the, the time difference is really awkward on this one. Oh, I, I haven't watched any of it. I just, I've been looking at it on the news. Yeah. Um, but it's it's um, it always annoys me uh, that it's called uh, Team GB. I knew you were going to say that. Why? It includes Northern Ireland, right? Oh, in that respect, yes, that's wrong, isn't it? Um, yeah. yeah, so it should be called Team GB and Northern Ireland. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, it's wrong. Anyway, so, yes, if you want to use your <laughs> Fuji with your Canon or your Nikon, Nikon or your Olympus or your Leica or whatever, I, I, you know, we're back to golf. <laughs> Keith Martin. Um, hello, gents. Thank you for all the work you've, you've done keeping us informed and entertained during these crazy times. Having visited the website and watched the films, I wanted to know if there are any non-documentary films or filmmakers you admire and have they... So it's non-documentary films or filmmakers that you admire and have, you, have they influenced the way that you make images? So I guess it's talking about fiction and, and stuff like that, do you think? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Non-documentary. See, I'm really driven by watching documentary stuff. So, but if you're if you're talking about filmmakers like uh, I don't know, we're we talking about the Spielbergy kind of filmmakers. I think so. Stanley Kubrick is one of my favourites. Yeah, I think he's on about that, like uh, Spielberg, Quentin Tarantino, maybe that kind of stuff. Has that changed the way that you photograph, though? Um, the way you you make images? Yeah, well, especially Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, I just run around <laughs> with with really long knives and swearing at people. <laughs> yeah, at a wedding that goes down really well. <laughs> what was that film um uh, is this going to be one of those moments oh it's going to be worse than that it was about a hotel it was on top of a, a mountain lodge and then um you mean the shining in no no it's a recent one about oh, recent. five years ago right um and he cut his finger off and they go up in a funicular railway huh? and there was only two people up there that fellow was in it the scottish actor does that um, does anybody know really <laughs> Oh, they all know, but we don't. Uh, I'm type. Hang on, I'm going to type into Google. Well, what are you going to write? The Scottish fellow whose finger, finger fell off. And a hotel, hotel on a mountain, yeah. chopped finger. I bet it says The Shining. I, I got it. I got it. I got it. Grand Budapest Hotel. Oh, right. Yeah. I, well, we, we knew that. Uh, <laughs> now that is a fantastic film. Yes. Um, and it, have you seen it? I have. That is uh, that's a Wes Anderson film. Mm. So his stuff, I love. 
it's if you ever watch uh not so much because he did all those horror films as well at the beginning of he his did, career yeah. didn't he yeah, yeah. uh like i saw what you did last night and yeah. things like that the the more his more recent stuff the the cinematography is beautiful yeah it is almost all especially the grand budapest hotel it's nearly all symmetrical if you watch every mm. single scene it's symmetrical I'd, and I, I, that yeah. definitely i think about sometimes no yeah i've not recognized that as yeah okay it is it's it's great it's really really cool i'm trying to see now how is, in so that's that, that's inspired you for for working in a symmetrical fashion you mean so he filmed it on uh 35 a 35 mil film yeah so using a single studio camera wow so yeah if you look if you just type that into google or whatever and look at some of the stills it's it's just symmetrical it's 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 phenomenal a really really good film apart from when he cuts his finger off i didn't like that bit (laughs) i wonder it can't all be disney-fied um or miss marple but I, I wonder why he filmed it in that fashion. What sort of what 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 inspired him to take that? Though? Well, I don't know about that, but that's his his more recent stuff is is a little bit like that. Mm. He puts a lot of thought into the um, into the cinematography, definitely. Um, you know, and I think yeah, it's good. It's interesting to watch directors that do use just one lens or something, isn't it? And they they mm. sort of that the entire film is shot in one way. A lot of people sort of stick to a favorite focal length. I think they do now, yeah. yeah. But, you know, he, he's done, I'm trying to think of, like, some more recent ones he's done, but I'm, I can't mm. off the top of my head think of too many. Mm. But he also does, he did a lot of the kiddie stuff, didn't he? He did the Fantastic Mr. Fox, yeah. I think. Um, but the Grand Budapest Hotel is the one that sticks in my mind the most mm. in terms of, um, you know, kind of cinematography. Well, thank you, Keith, for that. Uh, Kev, we got time for one from the Facebook group, I'm sure. Who's Keith? Well, that was the person that had the question. Oh. <laughs> you thought I was calling I you, Keith? I thought you totally got my name wrong. No, that was, it was Keith Martin that asked the question. <laughs> that was my way of being polite at the end, saying, thank you, Keith, moving on. Uh, Although, oh, it is funny that I do call um, <laughs> our father-in-law, is called, called Trev, I call him Kev all the time. I was <laughs> all right, Kev? I'm Trev. Oh, my God. You've known Um, me nearly two decades. I'm Trevor. (laughs) Oh, sorry, Kev. It's a bit like Trigger. uh, (laughs) And Dave. Okay, all right, let's let's carry on now. Go on. Okay, so this is uh, Michael's score, which Mm -hmm. is the tenuous link to to the other one, isn't it? Because it's movie scores. Get it? And this is this is uh, it's not so much a question. It's it's this is a monologue of thanks. Oh, is it? Yeah. So let's do it. Uh, Firstly, thank you everyone that is involved in the creation and management of the podcast. Oh, raise a glass. Yeah. Um, To all two of us, Uh, (laughs) to all the contributors, thank you for your time and knowledge. Oh, a glass for you as well. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit like wedding speeches, where gradually sort of (laughs) fall under the table because I've had so many of these. I've learned a stupendous amount over the last few months, not oh. only about Fujifilm, but all things photography related. Yeah. I have repeatedly heard the mention of beer and wine throughout the show. Why? I don't recall <laughs> hearing what kind tickles your fancy. Oh. I'm an Irish lad who's lived in Barcelona and London and now currently residing in minus 50 or 40 degrees, depending on the season, Winnipeg in Canada. Oh. Um and he desperately misses a good old pint of Guinness. So uh, the, the little question is, what is our favourite tipple? And I, I do like Guinness. Yeah, I, I love like Guinness. Guinness actually. No, I had some Guinness yeah. the other day. Very good. Yeah. A good Guinness is a good Guinness. So next time you're out, he says, get yourself a good Guinness and um, buy one for your for your guests as well. Uh, raise your gag, raise your glass, and say slint. How do you say that? I always oh, say that. Oh yeah, I was I always get that wrong. Slint, slint. Cheers. Anyway, Irish for yeah, cheers. Slint. Yeah. 
uh it's not that is it no it's, it's not it's something like else but i know i know yes i know what you mean um thank you both for your time and effort there's been many a laugh and uh had along the way in my uh in my truck at your expense p.s kevin you cannot say bob's your uncle without finishing the rest of the quote uh bob's your uncle and yeah isn't it something bob's your uncle and fanny's his cousin or something yeah i'm <laughs> not quite sure kev <laughs> Bob's your uncle, um, Fanny's your aunt. That's it, Fanny's your aunt. That's it, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I yeah, I do like a good Guinness, I have to say, but I, I am more, this time of the year, you know, it's 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 the end of July and, and it's pouring with rain and it's quite cold and windy, um, so I'm more of a cider drinker at the moment. Are you? Oh, yeah, okay. like a good Weston's 8.5% bottle. You can get them from the co-op quite cheap. When you're offered a drink when you're working, Kev, I've had this um, of later. I didn't used to get it. I think maybe post well, it's not post COVID. What am I talking about? Post coming out, so we can work. Um, people seem to be offering me more drinks at weddings. Maybe they're looking at me thinking he needs a drink. But I, I mean, I always turn it down. But uh, it, you know, have one. Go on. Come and join us. What's your? Uh, do you ever? Uh, no, I never drink at a wedding no. uh, ever, and I do often get offered. Yes. Um, the one I did a wedding a couple of weeks ago, and it was in a vineyard. Yeah. Oh, and, lovely. Uh, yeah. It was a beautiful place, right? Beautiful place. And the fellow that owned the vineyard was also running the running the day on the vineyard. They they, they also have a farm, mm. and so they have um, beef. So the the, uh, the meal was beef, and uh, so I was sat in the in the field while I, they were having their their dinner. I was sat in the field, and uh, and over he comes with a plate of beautiful beef and it did look beautiful and uh like roast potatoes and everything oh. and he said oh I, I really hope you like this um you know it's from uh, from our farm and of course i don't eat meat no so i kind of pushed it around the plate a bit chopped it up quite a lot and made it look like i'd eaten some of it gave it back to him and he kind of eyed it up and uh and then he said oh and you'll you'll have a glass of of, of wine they've opened some really special wine for this wedding you'll, you you'll, you'll have a glass yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i was like uh, uh no no, I won't. I'm driving in, you know, I'm driving in about five hours, so I'm not, I'm not going to no. have a glass of wine. No, no. And I could just see his face. It was like, is there something wrong with you? You know, yeah. I mean, he was being lovely, absolutely. And it's it's rare for the for the venue people to, to offer you, a, you know, such a lovely meal and, and wine know, and everything. But yes, no, <laughs> so I don't. Go on, Kev, have some topside. Go on, Kev, go on. Yeah, uh, bless him. How is the horse, by the way, when I think of it? Good. Good. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't been up there for a while, actually, but, but um, Gemma and the kids and stuff, are, yeah, basically live up there. Well, you can tell it's summertime. That's been an interesting first half of the show. Hasn't <laughs> <laughs> it just? Yeah. Uh, what I you think... don't see is the edit job that goes into this thing. You really don't. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> I think we should, we should hear from our guest this week, who is Adrian Arbib, a photojournalist. Adrian's contributed to all the UK newspapers and many international ones to boot. He's uh, travelled extensively covering human rights stories, and they include Rwanda, the Horn of Africa, and uh, India. But today we're going to talk just a little about what it means to shoot as a photojournalist, to research the work, to find the work, and to present the work. Adrian, you've travelled the world to tell stories of plight and protest, which, which in terms of working as a photojournalist sounds all very daring and exciting, but I, I wouldn't imagine it started like that, though. Um, no, I mean, I, I went to college, um, London College of Printing, and, and that I did a, started a BA in photojournalism there. Um, and I think I was a bit young for it, really. It was a very Marxist-led course. 
Um, and I, I was, you know, the age of 19 and 20, I wasn't really worldly enough really to absorb what was going on. But it, it, but it really, I look back on it now and I think that was fantastic. It really, it set me on the right track. Um, I, I got disillusioned really because it was at the time of the Greater London GLA. It was being cut to shreds by the Thatcher government. And, um, and, and, I, and it was just the course fell apart. So I, I left and I went to work in an advertising studio. It was at the other end of the spectrum really. And, and, I, and there I learned so much. I learned sort of everything. I learned how to, you know, 10 and unloading films and and and, he, and I just learned a lot about the technical ability the political wasn't really that was there but I wasn't really exploring it I was going to say did it feel comfortable because of course as you say the two worlds are extraordinarily different aren't they yeah it was it, it was poles apart but I, I just felt that I was getting really good at photography or you know learning how to use medium format and large format and it was it really was a different era but then following that I just went off traveling and I did lots of different jobs I've done lots of different jobs and then uh, when I was in America I got a phone call from a friend of mine the writer George Monbiot who works at the Guardian he's writes for the Guardian and he he said um do you want to go to Indonesia? I've got this deal to do a book about uh, human rights abuse in, in Indonesia. And I, I jumped at the chance. And that was my break, I guess. So so at that point, you you probably thought, oh, wait a minute, actually, this this is my genre. This is something I can really get my teeth into. Yeah, it's the it's the thing is that I think at the, at the young age of 20, I was... When you're when you're sort of trying to cut your teeth in photography, it's, it's really difficult. I mean, you you you'll follow the pack around, you'll go around with all the press guys, but I think getting your teeth into a story and really well researching it and and then following it through, um, that's such a you know such an opportunity very few people get that opportunity i was very lucky but i mean that taught me to follow a story through photojournalists very rarely get a chance to do that these days um unless you've got some some backer um we were lucky both of us had backing of the of the uh, we got a, a small advance on the book we traveled very light and, and, and we just shot the story and we, and we we brought back a kind of a, a you know a, a new story we, we got lots of stuff into the dutch press the german press because it was a dutch colony indonesia's a dutch colony um we got quite a lot of stuff in the UK press in the Guardian and that's when you, I built a relationship up with the newspaper so I, I presented stuff to the Guardian and other stories and so it went on once you've done a couple of stories and you've got them in there they take you seriously and you can present new stories and the Guardian was first then uh, La Repubblica which is the Italian newspaper which is a left-wing newspaper isn't it I think it's not so much now I think it's more middle ground now I think isn't it yeah it's slightly yeah middle ground sort of I mean the magazine's good La, um, the weekend magazine I mean it's funny how newspapers work it, it you know sections of the, of the newspaper were sort of more left and right and um, it, it's it's the same with it's been the same I think in all newspapers but you were there for six years now I, I wonder why you went from the Guardian to, to there well it's like everything in life it's about who you know I mean, a lot of the time. I mean, what happened is I um, I used to go down, I went down to Perpignan, the photography um, show, the Perpignan, and there's, you know, Arles and all this kind of thing. And you, and you take your portfolio around with you. Um, and by which time I'd done a lot of work. I'd worked for Christian Aid. I'd worked for Oxfam. I was covering stories all over the place. And I had a, a reasonable portfolio of uh, images and then went to Rome following that to see the picture editor at La Repubblica and Colours of Benetton. And it, the momentum picks up. And they, the guy said, well, we're actually you're really lucky because... Um, we need a guy in, in, in the UK, so would you be up for it? And I went, absolutely. And my Italian was terrible. I've actually married an Italian girl and I spent some time in Italy as well. Very different different crowd from here. What is the press like actually in Italy? What's, I, mean, I know it's, it's quite heady here, isn't it? There's a particular culture that British newspapers have. What about the Italian ones? 
Um, they like their lunches, so um, <laughs> they they they'll take you out for lunch and they'll you know, get to know you and you'll hang around in the office afterwards and you'll talk to the picture editors yeah. and yeah. it's not so hierarchical as it is here. So during this time, you were becoming, I suppose, a bit of a go-to for these kinds of stories, protest and plight. And there was a group of us actually. There was a group of photographers. I mean, I can think of a whole load of names: Andrew Tester, who works for the New York Times now. There was Antonio Olmos, who used to he well works the observer. There's Nigel Dickinson, who's in Paris, um, um, uh, a whole bunch of guys. And we always to go around different protests. And there's guys, Smallman as well, who came through later on. And, my, and it was and Gary Trotter, uh, who had an agency called Images Sans Frontier. And there was just a group of guys that would cover, and women, that mm. co- would cover the, these events. In fact, so I should put a big shout out for the women. In fact, one of the best protest photographers I know is Jess Hurd. Um, she's fantastic. But what we would do, we'd go around from one one protest to another, just covering it. And it was we'd watch each other's backs. It was quite competitive to get your picture in as well. Right at the start of this, which was the days before digital so um there was a lot of processing going on and snipping of negatives and that kind of thing i was basically looking for i was looking for trouble spots in the uk and also worldwide and go and 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 sort of following my nose um and it was it was difficult i mean it, you know it was i look back on it now it's, it's, it's from a business model it's a crazy thing to do but you know you sometimes you strike lucky let's talk about some of the stories you mentioned the international ones so we'll uh, we'll go into those um these are going to be out of sequence because we're starting in Nigeria in 1999 and I know you were doing jobs before then of course so you were in Nigeria 99 Shell uh, remember this story Shell completely deny the oil spills that, that are polluting hunting and fishing grounds um, they say it wasn't on their watch or wasn't their fault despite a lot of evidence to the contrary and your, your work in this field are you there as a, as a storyteller or an evidence collector or or is it a bit of both you're there as a, um, uh, an observer and, and gathering evidence um, and you you almost become part of the story. I mean, I was actually working with um, John Vardor of The Guardian, the environment editor at the time, and John and I travelled there for, I think, for three weeks, and we, we, we went there with Anita Roddick of The Body Shop and oh. Gordon Roddick. Right, Roddick. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Because um, The Guardian didn't really have very very much well they, they they pleaded poverty as they still do and they don't really fund the journalists to go and travel out there so what they do is um they'll try and get somebody who's campaigning on the issue to sort of help it to raise profile and anita and gordon helped us give us some money to travel there so john and i went out to nigeria and uh, we were with anita for a bit and she was given um sort of stateship and made a, a, a king of a particular area right. and then uh, with the Agoni, because she hugely supported the Agoni um, fight when after Ken Sarawiva had been killed, and we travelled out to the Delta area, and John and I split off, and we went off into the into the forest and um, this flooded forest, and I, with I remember a, a couple of moments where we were actually in water up to our necks and i had my at the time i had a, a little billion billingham camera bag and I, I actually put it on my head and swam with my cameras on my head in this bag uh with john um and uh, well I, I remember standing on a log with john while he, while he was smoking a cigarette and i was we were drying off and thinking you know how far are we going to have to go and this this the the guy the guide we were with he took us for the ejor guide who whose village had been basically filled with oil from this yeah. spill took us to this this um village and 
we took pictures and we got the story out and um it's just perseverance really you're up against these huge multinationals shell is is but one of the the ones we're going to talk about they have of course not just the manpower but shall we say resources um in which to perhaps dissuade you from telling a story how do you deal with us this facet of your work because it it doesn't come risk-free your work you're you're sooner or later going to upset somebody who has a a vastly different agenda to what yours is adrian absolutely no i mean that shell I mean, I remember coming back from the Agoni story and um, I got approached by Shell. They rang me up and they were very, very pleasant. They're very friendly. And they, they said, would you like to come into our offices? And I thought, good Lord, you know. So I, I went, I thought, well, go and check this out. So I went to their offices and they, they basically said, you know, you, would you like to come and work for us? And um, <laughs> I, said, I said, no, not yeah. at all. I mean, I, and I actually went to see the Agoni guys and I said, um, you know, I said to them, would you... Would it be all right if we, you know, if, if I went out there, would it be helpful to you, um, to the campaigners? And they said, yeah, go, go, you must go. And actually, when it came down to it, Shell got, got cold feet on the whole mm. thing. But it's so weird that as a photographer, you have you have to wear these different hats. I mean, basically, you have your morality, which you have to stick by. But, you know, you every now and then, these guys will come for you, come to see what your price is. Mm. That, that I don't do it for the money. I do it for the, you know, I do it for the story. I do it for the issue. But... I mean, a lot of photographers just I don't, are not in that position. So, it, it, yeah. I mean, and the other thing is they will come at you where, much more heavily. I mean, I've been, uh, when I did a story about in, in the UK, I mean, I, I came up against the might of um, RWEN power. Um, which really took the wind out of me, actually. Well, there's actually a, a video of you. It's on Channel 4 News. I know you appeared, uh, there was the story continued in Panorama, I think, as well, didn't it? But the, the bit that I, I particularly remember looking at was when somebody from NPower, one of the legal uh, chaps, approached you and tried to slap an injunction on you. An injunction, actually, which you fought off, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, thanks to the NUJ, um, who were amazingly supportive. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it was a local issue in Oxford. And after I'd been sort of travelling all over the world, I ended up you know, just covering local issues. You get kind of worn out from the travel, to be honest. It was just a simple issue of, uh, of uh, some lovely lakes just outside of, in near Abingdon, just outside of Oxford, where I live. And these beautiful lakes were a wildlife hotspot. They had otters, they had everything there, and they had all sorts of stuff. I went down, I used to walk my dog there regularly. Um, and then we heard they were going to be filled in using the waste fuel ash from the uh, power station at Didcot power, Coal Fire Power Station, destroying this place. So a lot of people got up in arms about it. And I thought I'll go and cover the story. And occasionally I do work for people like BBC Wildlife. I do little kind of little notes and little stories for them. And just saw pictures, little shoot, shot away pictures of, you know, whatever's going on locally. And what happens when I went down there, there'd been an injunction had been placed on this particular um, slot area of this lake uh, where they were filling it in. And all the workers were down. They were cutting down a tree where literally a week before I'd photographed some kingfishers. So um, they were effectively destroying a kingfisher's nest, yeah. nest which is a which is a, you know, a protected species. And I was there photographing it. And they slapped the injunction on anyone who went near it. So I was then the injunction applied to me. And we, it was pretty nasty i mean they basically said yeah we, we, we are going to prosecute and um and that was sort of potentially 10 years in jail i think and it was a scary moment it really was a scary moment i felt very on my own um, did, you, did you think they would carry it through i mean of all the experiences we'll come to rwanda in a minute which was before that of all the things you've been through the things you've seen the things you've photographed it came down to some quite heavy-handed behavior um, which you managed to fight off in the end for, from a British company that you probably thought you'd you'd never really have to experience. 
Absolutely. I mean, when you're actually um, a threat to these guys and their money, you, you, you know, that, that you can feel the weight. It's actually like a, a weight on your chest and you, you're weighing it up. And I've been in these situations before. I've, I think I'm a bit hot-headed. I get very involved. I get very passionate about the story, which isn't healthy, but I get very, very passionate. And there's only so many stories you can be passionate about that you just literally burn out. But I I get very wound up about things like my local boat, canal boatyard they were going to build on, so I got stuck into that. And I used my, my camera or my photographs a bit like a kind of a, so not really a weapon, but it's my, my great kind of hero is Eugene Smith. You know, the, he yes. photographed the Minamata massacre yes. and, and yes. the killing, you know, Minamata poisoning. And yeah. um, I look back on that and he's, I think his sort of spirit is, I mean, I'd like to think his spirit is somewhere somewhere in me. I mean, I'm not <laughs> as good a photographer as that guy, not, not a touch on him, but is that is that kind of the spirit is is important to have those the fire in you to take the pictures and mm. it's tougher these days i think maybe in, than it was because you don't have the newspapers behind you um you don't necessarily have the support of these guys anymore um uh, the large multinationals come under a lot of scrutiny i mean we've talked about a couple already i mean in particular well in the many countries going back to africa my own recent travels to the gambia showed me how how chinese business could seemingly sweep in vacuum some fish out of the sea process it send it on it on it on its way as animal feed and leave a whole community wondering who actually benefited from the process. I remember being told the story, standing there looking at these beaches, looking at uh, boats that should really be out there fishing. And I remember sort of being being enraged by it, and I wanted to make my own photo stories. Well, how do you choose yours? I think you've touched on it there, but how... Or are they always commissions? They have to be commissions to, to be able to pay their way. No, I mean, they used to be commissions. Um, but they're not anymore. I mean, now I, I have to go and hunt them out myself and research them. Um, are there any budding photojournalists or any journalists? I mean, it's not really just a photojournalist. You're a journalist. You're a seeker of the truth. You've got to go out and hunt that story down yeah. and then collate all that information. So your fishing story, you know, you have to know at some point, where am I just not going to carry this on anymore? Because you're just going to burn yourself out. You have to look at, like, what's doable, what's winnable. And, and there are certain factors that will make a story winnable. You know, who's going to who's going to print it is the other thing. It is you have to have the right funders. Yes, you definitely have to be commissioned, but you can definitely with uh, social media get stuff out there, and you'll get pick up on it. And our thanks to Adrian Arbib, an archive interview I recorded last year for Photography Daily. My other cast, of course. And on that note, this week on Wednesday, over on uh, Photography Daily, I'll be talking to a, a documentary commercial photographer Finn Beals who's living the dream in the the great outdoors making the stories he wants to in the style he likes to shoot perfect and on Friday the jewel in the crown show the photo walk where I take a mailbag out and chat photography whilst making a photo walk simple as you and I with our cameras and me with a microphone plus inspirational words in between the letters from previous and future guests and there is some news about the podcast to come on the Photo Walk show that's rather important this coming Friday. Right, back to your questions. Actually, Kev, before we have a question, it's only a couple of weeks now to the to, to the to the wedding of the year and more of those clinks. Yeah. You've written your speech, yeah? Have you written your speech? Uh no. No? Mm. No, haven't even thought about it. until you mentioned that. Then I've just that's, I've mentally put that in my my to do box. Oh, you need to do one. You need to you, you need need to do yourself a really nice speech for Gemma. I don't know. Gemma, I'm going to do a speech. Of course you do, Kev. Uh, I don't. Do? There's no point. What's the point? We've been together for hundreds of years. Kev, don't <laughs> you're taking a, a, you're taking the romance out of a nice romantic <laughs> moment. How's how's uh, the how's the budget going? <laughs> 
yeah it's uh and even that- though this is a very low-key kind of yeah thing yeah it's uh yeah there's a lot of those chinchings going yeah i bet yeah. is it true that you're having a uh, having a hog roast and you can't yes. even, you can't even eat it i mean we talked about this just a moment ago you 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 you, you refused having a plate of horse and now and now here we are at your own wedding you won't be able to eat the uh, eat the grub uh, yeah well grub's right. about the it's only thing like... you can eat you can eat a grub uh, an actual grub <laughs> Mike, yeah maybe that's what i'll have <laughs> michael who's uh three doors away from us the butchers he's uh, he's doing us a, a hog roast ah oh, lovely yeah yeah they cook it up and then bring it across the road stick it stick it on whatever they do yeah. with it cut it up and give yeah. it to the people and then i'm gonna go to the co-op and get a, a salad <laughs> <laughs> I, i'm not sure i can ever eat pig again um because i did a wedding it was um, last weekend and um not the weekend just gone the the weekend before that it was a i really enjoyed it it was at a it was at a well the 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 couple held it at a community farm oh fantastic it was salisbury way Mm. and um so they have lots of animals and things there obviously including some alpacas who uh, always are they alpacas? What's the smaller version of an alpaca? Anyway, I'm going to call it that. Llama. No, llama's the bigger one. Alpacas oh. are small. I'm, I'm sure they're alpacas, but they always alpacas and me. We just don't get along. But right next now, the once once I got past the alpaca sort of hissing at me thing, the next the next pen there was um, a couple of big big pigs, <laughs> and the the lady whose job it is to look after them, um, where went into the pen. She said, "Look at this." And she said, uh, she had an apple or something, said, now, if you're going to have this, Susie, I think, was the, na- was the name. She said, Susie, sit, sit. And this pig, I'm telling you, it was like a collie dog. And it, Pigs oh, are lovely. Oh, it was. And, and, she sort of, and, and then she um, scratched, scratched Susie behind the, behind the ear, and Susie just went, just fell over and went to sleep. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I, I think I'd rather have a pig in the house than a dog. <laughs> not sure you'd want the mess no well my, we'll my anyway. but yeah, no yeah. they're cute i love pigs yeah yeah even if i wasn't a vegetarian i'd think i'd find it quite difficult eating a pig but enjoy your hog roast at your, at your wedding <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true i'm not i'm not going to eat it but i'm paying for it to be yeah. chopped up yeah i'm so. going around on a rotisserie yeah. poor bloody thing anyway uh, anyway yes. right questions have you got one right i've got yeah. a question from leslie burdett yes she says, "Do you do you have and do you use any old lenses on your cameras? If so, ah. and uh, which and how do you how did you come by them?" Yeah, well, I, I do. Mm. I've got one on the Fujifilm X Pro One, which is the the twenty eight millimeter Yashica lens, which is brilliant. Oh. I love it, and I and I came by it uh, through um, a friend of the show, Tim Binder. Yes, thank you, Tim. I haven't got. Uh, I've got old legs on my body. That's for sure. <laughs> I feel I went with... to judo on Wednesday for the first time. Do you feel a bit vintage? Oh my god! Yeah, I can walk for days. Um, so, have you got any? You've you've got vintage lenses, haven't you? Surely you I, have. I know you I, have. I have, but they're for my GFX, and I never use them. Mm. I've got a Minolta eighty-five one point four. I think it is. Right. I have used it. Uh, it's not true to say I never use it. I have used it, but but no, I don't. I don't. I just usually go for the the prime brand ones. Yeah, but lots of people do, and and you can get some. You can get some really cool, especially like those old Russian lenses. Um, you can get them on t- internet, um, really quite cheap, and do some funky stuff with them. I probably wouldn't use it for a professional job. Not sure I would. 
What is it you've got? Yashica, what, what, Yashica what 28mm that's on the Fujifilm X-Pro1. I've never taken it since, since I got that lens. I haven't taken it off that camera, not changed so, it at all. So that's giving you, what, a 16.5mm thereabouts? No, it's the other way around, Kev. You're still thinking GFX. Oh, yes. It's Sorry, for, so it's giving you... It's 40-something millimetre, isn't it? 39, 40, yeah. 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 And yeah. I, that's a really... Funny enough, I was talking about this with uh, with a friend earlier, about useful focal lengths. And it, just if, if for one moment we talk in the, in, in the vernacular of, of full, f, well, a traditional full frame, somebody was suggesting that 40 millimetre is a really good focal length... Um, for documentary work because it sits between that 35 which is sometimes it's a, a bit to a tad too wide and 50 which is always a little bit too close for me when i'm doing documentary work it's quite a useful lens uh, focal mm. length actually the 28 mil on a fuji on a fuji film camera really is good yeah. good for you okay <laughs> okay i'm just trying to create a conversation <laughs> Paul, uh, Paul Balleresque. Actually, Paul um, was um, suggesting that people who keep boxes look at the grid on Instagram profiles. And where, whether, yeah, I know what you're saying here, Paul. Do, what, what are our feelings about grids? We kind of have covered this before, um, where, uh, where people look at grids as well as the images on Instagram. You don't, do you? No. No. Not much. I mean, I do occasionally, but only by accident. Yeah. My mind has changed on it. I was all for the pretty grid. Until I talked to uh, Johnny Keeley uh, over on F- Photography Daily ab- about grids, and he was talking about the you know, the idea of uh, of people beginning to, to to sort of know your personality a bit more. And so I've, I've come away from you know trying to make a pretty grid to actually creating a story around what I do each day. You know, looking you know a, a photo walk picture or looking at the studio desk. Or I, th- yeah. I think I think that's um, so. You know, I did say the other day, if Kev's hearing this, he'd, he'd raise one eyebrow at me and definitely say, I told you so. Yeah, and throw out the boxes. Yeah, I haven't, got, uh, I haven't quite got to that yet. But, uh, yeah, so pretty grids. Right, over to you, Kev, your question. Okay, Kirk Vogel says, I'm not really the biggest user of Fujifilm film simulations as I like to edit each of my images for a look that I was inspired toward as I shot it. But what are your what are your current favourite film simulations? Mm. And in capitals, if you had the power and could persuade Fujifilm to release a special simulation, you have secretly be harbouring in your loins. <laughs> uh, where, where do you keep your film simulation ideas? Do you keep them in your loins? Not in my loins. Mm, I'm <laughs> going to start keeping them in my loins. No, I, but I do have dividers. I, I do have dividers for them though, Kev. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what would it look like? Could your could your Joey converter handle it? <laughs> Great show, yada yada yada. Kurt Vogel from New Zealand. Yeah. Uh, well, I tend to use standard Provia um, all the time, really. Um, for a while, I went through using Chrome a lot, a lot, but I wasn't quite sure what it did to. Funnily enough, it was people's lip colours that put me off using the the, the Chrome. Um, so Provia is my answer then. Yeah, well, I I like to use for black and whites. I like to use the Acros Plus R. Yeah, that gives me a which, nice filmic look. I do like that. Yeah. Always, um, always Plus R, not always. Usually that. Plus R, yeah, because yeah. that gives a bit more contrast. Yeah, um, that's for my my black and white JPEGs. And then for for color, I now that we have it, um, I typically use Classic Neg, which is again really nice beautiful kind of contrast you've got to be a little bit careful with it with the greens they can it can get a bit strong in those areas but uh but that 
they're the ones that I would use. When you're filming, does that change? Because I use a Turner when I'm always. Oh, this is where I do change, and the profile I love is a Turner for filming. Yeah, I use a Turner always, for filming. always. Yeah. Um, not that I've done much filming recently. Although I did did, you did film the concert. Yeah, yeah, that concert. Yeah. I can't. Remember, I don't know why I filmed that on though. But anyway, the the idea now. Hang on. I'm gonna. I'm just. Hold on a sec. Hold on. What are you doing? Just getting getting something out of my loins. Um, oh, Kev. That's like, horrible. That, that's where I'm keeping all my uh, my, my JPEG recipes these oh, days. I'm sure you are. Um, what would I have? I would love... Now, when I did my presets, I built some kind of bespoke ones based on kind of photographers that I love. Yeah. And one of the ones I did, where I called it Jane Baron. I called it Baron. Oh, and, yes. Uh, Jane yeah. Baron. Yeah. So I would really love a real, real, really contrasty JPEG where, um, black and white, where it's really only going to be good if you've got very different in light. So, you know, that you've got a, a strong fall off between shadows and highlights. So do you mean though that you, you could, could actually get lost in the, the, sort of the black yeah. end of that, that photograph? Yeah, yeah, that's right. that's what I would I would really like. Um, you know, with grain built into it, you know, very real filmic. Like Fujifilm have built some beautiful film simulations, uh, and the Acros film simulation does have some grain built into the simulation. But I, you know, I'd like to see them just go brave and and mm. create a real, real dramatic black and white film sim that you know always looks like it's shot at thirty two hundred, even if you're shooting it clean. Uh, you know, that's what I'd like. But then you start to move out of sort of traditional and, and named film stocks that people know to sort of invented new film stocks. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which I, I mean, suppose you, isn't really the idea of, of, of the film simulation, is it really, within the camera? No, true. But you could be looking at, um, I don't know, something... Something like FP4, that kind of, that kind of, oh, okay. you know, high contrast FP4. But then how, I don't yeah. know what the legalities are. I was going to say, I wonder, I, wonder, yeah, I wonder how comfortable they'd, they'd feel doing that. Well, there'd be copyright way. things going on yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. You know, they, they wouldn't, they just wouldn't do that kind of, it's the reason why they don't have a Kodachrome yeah. one is because Kodachrome is not there. They don't own it, so. Um, well, if they if they ever did do that, I'd like a Delta thirty two hundred, please. Yeah, Delta thirty two hundred yeah. as well. Yeah, that'd be nice. What um, was your the the one that you made that was newspaper, which I love. You know, I like that one because I tell mm. you often. What what was that based on? Uh, hang on, let me just load it up. I'll see if I've based it on one of the profiles. Um, because I, I that 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 one for me that feels the most filmic of all the ones that you created. It's almost like a a one touch and add a bit of contrast in, and you are there. Yeah, so that one, that's a custom profile that was not based on any of the, the kind of film stocks. But I did, in that that edition, I did do HP5, yeah. Delta, and then the, the FP4 stuff came in the new set, mm. um, and Tri-X as well. T-Max, these are all the options. Yeah. I would, I'd like to see all of those. But yeah, it's not going to happen because Fujifilm don't own the rights to those kind of things. No, no. And that's why you have to sort of loosely call them other other things. Well, not loosely, definitely call them other things when you're making your, your profiles. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, the newspaper one to this day is, for me, that's the, that's the one click and a little bit of contrast tweak. Uh, and you are away. There we go. Just done an advert, Kev. Well done. Thank you. Cha-ching. Cha-ching. Um, right, book time. Hang this, on a sec. This huge book that you've got. I'm going to have to go all the way up. Oh. It is massive. Yes. Elliot Erwitz, A Colour, with yes. a K. K-O-L-O-R. 
um, and it is it's one of those it's produced by Teenewers, which right. is uh, the publishing house, and they always produce these massive, beautiful tabletop books yeah. that you'd leave on your on your your sideboard kind of thing. Um, right, so I'll read out the blurb because uh, it always makes sense. To select the color photographs from this vast project that have never been published in a book before, yeah. Elliot Erwitz sifted through his ample archive of nearly half a million, <laughs> 35 mil slides, half a million, and we thought we overshot at weddings. Um, <laughs> then he began the mammoth task of whittling it down to this epic collection of roughly 450 pages. For most of these images, the color managed to stay miraculously preserved, and, ev- and every evocative detail is as crisp as the date of its creation. Uh, where the world leaders or sassy showgirls sassy showgirls say sassy showgirls sassy showgirls sassy showgirls sassy uh, yeah is you wouldn't be able to do it for long the subjects reflect Erwitt's own awry and eclectic sensibility. Yeah. To say the juxtapositions are intriguing would be an understatement. From marketplaces to military camps, Vegas to Venice, there is a rich mixture of public yeah. pageantry and carefully observed Ooh. private interactions. Oh, I love that. Public pageantry. Did you get in yours book. in, the, in the, bo- the yellow box that it can come in? No, so mine ah. is not the limited edition. Right, mine is just the standard, bog standard the, the one. It's it's on. highly it's it's like forty five quid. Yeah, so it's you know it's not the cheapest book, but it's it, it's highly available. You can get it pretty much anywhere. Honest to God, this is one of the biggest books I have. It is it's it's kind of Genesis size, is it? And it's just pictures, and it is just absolutely wonderful, all color. Of course, Elliot Erwitt is, well, I say mostly known for his black and white, and probably if you type Elliot Erwitt into Google Images, you'll see mostly black and white stuff. Um, but he, you know, he did go through quite a big phase of shooting color, and, yeah. and you know, the most of which we've got here. It says that they're unpublished, so a lot of these pictures are ones that I, I have actually seen a, a handful of them before, mm. um, but maybe on uh, like Magnum Archives or something. But there's there's just a total random selection of images. For example, I've just turned. There's no page numbers, but somewhere in the middle, there's a guy uh, in the sea um, doing kind of the the He-Man stands. And then on the page opposite is a is a nude woman in a studio, hmm. like totally random. Hmm. And then we've got um, a few pages on. We've got a, a a collection of journalists, photojournalists, all taking pictures of somebody. Um, so the story that Elliot Erwitt is taking here is making here is of the the congregation of photographers yeah. rather than who they're taking a picture of. I, I wonder what the collective noun for a, a group of photographers is. A broke. A broke. <laughs> yes, probably. Yeah. <laughs> And some of them are pictures that you just would not expect that from Elliot Erwitt. Some of them are, uh, you know, kind of editorial. Some of them are commercial. Some of them are, are, are staged. Um, not so much documentary stuff. There is some brilliant, witty images. You know, obviously, Elliot Erwitt is very famous for his series about dogs. Um, and on on some of the images, on some of the pages where the images are smaller, you can see the page number. So page three hundred and seventy is this uh, <laughs> brilliant picture of uh, a lady's pair of legs crossed over a man's pair of legs, and then this dog that sat vertically upright in the middle. Oh, yeah. It almost looks like yeah. they pulled the chain on the dog, and so he's kind of ha- holding up. <laughs> it does look like that, yeah. Uh, brilliant. There's and a then- he, he has a sort of uh, he has a, this ability to be in the right place at the right time because I'm sure you're uh, familiar with the image of the um of the guy that's showing himself um yes that's the one i was just looking at yeah, yeah. now uh, that looks a fairly modern image in some respects only because there's a detail within that photograph of the man that's uh, showing himself with his long mac on and, and the, on his right on his his right leg has a fairly modern looking sort of form of 
tat, doesn't it? Tattoo. Yeah, I've lost it now. I've lost the picture. But, but I mean, that, I mean, how did he know that man was going to do that at that moment? Did he think, oh, I'm going to follow this bloke for a minute because he, he, he looks like a flasher to me. But the woman that's looking at him has got that real disdainful look in her kind of, oh, I don't know why you bothered. But it's interesting, isn't it, that he manages to find, he seems to be in the right place at the right time. These dog photos are, are one one example of that, aren't they? Well, they are, but also, I mean, if you think, how many millions did we say? Um, 500,000. Half, no, half a million. Half a million. Yeah. 35 yeah. mil size. So, basically, he's out there constantly, isn't yeah, he? you've got to be doing a lot of walking. He's doing it. He's yeah, doing yeah, the job. Yeah. But the dog stuff, uh, if you hear him talk about that, it was it's not just a case of he wanders around and, you know, he gets lucky. What he does is he, you know, he finds certain places where people walk their dogs regularly. Uh, he waits for the right time of the year where the light is right for the direction and the people walking their dogs, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So many of these pictures, yes, I mean, he may well be a case of being in the right place at the right time. But also there's a lot of observational work that goes on beforehand, um, you know, yeah. which is which is the, the the best thing, the best way to do it, isn't it? Um, you know, you're, you're kind of staking it out effectively and still getting your, your brilliant candid pictures. Mm. Um, there's wedding portraits, studio portraits. Weddings? Yeah, wedding. He did do a few weddings. There's some, there's some famous Elliot pictures. Elliot shot weddings black and white wedding oh. pictures there's some yeah some of the more kind of the latter ones are his time in japan um and korea there's a wonderful picture of a, a set of guys and a woman sat in a bathtub waving a korean flag <laughs> and uh, uh, the woman's got this big smile on her face <laughs> and uh, and so are the guys and uh yeah there's some there's some i tell you there's some there's some Im images also that if you just randomly showed them to me i would say yeah, I think that could be an Elliot Derwitt. But then there's also a whole load that I would think, nah, no chance. Interesting. But, oh, oh, but, but yeah, I mean, it's... And then at the end, you've got all the contact sheets. So yeah. let me tell you, if I can find... Yeah, some lovely stuff from Brighton Beach. I'm looking for the contact sheet for that one you were just talking about, oh, the flasher. Right. The flasher uh, yeah. And it's actually a fashion shoot. Ah, oh, right. Okay. Oh, I feel... Ah, oh, I'm a bit disappointed about that. <laughs> I did think I, when we were looking at it yeah. and, and we were talking about being in the right place at the right time, I yes. did think... That is remarkable. Yes. Um, so yes, that is that is oh. one of the, the fashion shots. Actually, I say I'm disappointed, but uh, I'm pleased it's not a real one. But what what's what's that advertising? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who knows? <laughs> Strange advertising campaign. Yeah. Yeah. But but no, the contact sheets at uh, the, the back are just very simple. Just mm. tells you date of the picture um, and where they are and what it was about. I always think it's fascinating, isn't it? The contact sheets when when um, you know but whole books of contact sheets are available. The Magnum one is is one of the, the most important impressive of course when you see that you 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 sort of get an idea of how the photographer's mind is really working yeah no it's great mm. really cool book really big book um oh there's fidel castro there mm. page 54 took that picture in cuba funny enough mm. um yeah <laughs> and now is it so this isn't this is how much did you say it was book wise 45 pounds oh, not too bad then for uh, such a large book is enormous. Look, I'm going to tell you now. I'm going to look. Tell me on uh, on the books on Amazon, the weight of it. Mm. Uh, 448 pages. Right. It's 28 and a half um, by 37 centimeters. Right. And this is the 2013 first edition. Mm, it doesn't say weight. Right. Um, but let me tell you, it's heavy. Good one. Good one indeed. Elliot Owitz, color. Mm. Love it. Uh, right, question. I think we've got time for maybe just a couple, <laughs> a couple more. You're right, Kev. 
This, this one is from Theodore Tollefson, uh, a fine art photographer. Um, so he says, I know you want offbeat questions, but it's uh, at least a little offbeat to ask a, a wedding photographer landscape photography questions, right? <laughs> so I'm not sure where we're going to go with this, Kev. Uh, he, he found a, some. there was an infographic on Peter Pexel. I don't know whether you saw this question come in, that, that um, purports to show how the transition part of a graduated neutral density filter will be wider on a crop frame sensor than on a full frame sensor. I did look at it. But will it in practice, he says, won't crop factor correct the graduated area back toward what it should be or would be on full frame with an equivalent focal length? If 18mm is similar to 24mm for subjects, is there any reason it won't have the same effect on the graduated part of a graduated filter? Did you get that, Kev? Yes, I get the question. I have no idea about the answer. This is while I wait for the dollar to be strong enough to pick up a nice Lee 85 kit for, say, 10 bucks. What should I do? I don't know the answer to that. I mean, I, I have filters. I have Lee filters, in fact. And they did a dedicated one for the X100. Yeah. Uh, it's called the Big Stopper. I love that. Big Stopper. Ah, big Stopper. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's a good question, actually. Like the, I'm sure people like Carl would know the answer to that. Yeah. He's got Carl, a brain yeah, the size of a planet. Pass that one over to you, Carl, to answer that one. I'm interested about this filter you had for the X100. Yeah, Big Stopper. Did you work with it a lot? Did you I use did it? in the early days, yeah. Did I you? mean, I... Uh, yeah, of course, the, the X100 has always had a built-in ND filter. Um, and then this, this big stopper was a... Yeah. The reason why I had it was because when I wrote my, my book on the X100S, yes. uh, I had to write a section about filters. And so Lee supplied me with this this thing called the big ah, stopper. Right. Uh, and it was great. So it was a 10-stop ND filter for the X100. So technically, you could do 13 stops because there was three stops built in as well. And, you know, bearing in mind that was, uh, you know, now... Sorry, I should say it wasn't then, but now you've got the electronic shutter as well. So you can go up to one thirty-two thousandth a second and stick 13 stops on it good heavens you could basically shoot a portrait on the sun yeah <laughs> might get your beat your feet burned yeah, but it might ruin your shoes yeah did the, the original x100 didn't have a neutral density filter built in did it no yeah. did it yeah three stops now it's up five stops but yeah right. three stops i didn't realize that okay yeah Right, well, there we go. Uh, last question, I think, Kev, from the, from, the, uh, from the Facebook group. Right, strap yourself in. All right. This is a big one. Okay. Uh, this is from Darren Goldstein, mm. or Goldstein, perhaps. Uh, uh, okay, time to talk monitors and colour accuracy. Oh, no. <laughs> Here we go. Right, ready? I'm a full-time working professional photographer, was using an iMac, but have recently upgraded to the new M1 MacBook Air. Right. I was hoping to use the old iMac as a second display, but that won't work with the new M1 Max. Mm. I've tried the Lunar display adapter, which is okay, but too much latency. Can you recommend a somewhat affordable display, approximately 27 inches, that is suitable for photographers? Mm. I know there are monitors in the 2000 Canadian dollar range, but I'm thinking in the 400 to $800 range that are still considered monitors geared towards photographers. Right. I know as a pro I shouldn't be balking at $2,000 monitors, but knowing that the iMac is coming down the road, I am trying to save some dollars. Since I'm editing off both the MacBook and also my iPad Pro, which he loves, there is no color calibration for the iPad that he knows of. So up until now, I've been trusting that the Apple's displays are up to par with relatively accurate color and brightness, etc. I know it's not perfect, but it's good enough for most projects. With so many devices and displays out there, is there even a point to making sure my displays are calibrated correctly? My attitude lately has been as long as my color brightness is consistent within my own workflow, that's the best I can do. I don't make prints. The clients of mine that do will likely use a professional lab printing house and will most likely have someone adjust where necessary. So when does the display calibration matter? 
Thanks, lads. Well, the the calibration in an I, I'm surprised that you trust an iMac so much because I've always thought. Now I'm a Mac man, you know that, Kev. But yep. I've always I've always thought the colours that come out of iMacs are blooming awful, and and the Thunderbolt displays were even worse for me. And that's why I, I tend to edit and I get the contrast. I get the contrast right. So the depth of the image I get right and the exposure I get right. But then for the final colour, really, just to check everything, I'm afraid I slide it onto a BenQ because that's the only that's the only thing I can trust. I don't trust the I- iMacs for, for colour at all. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, of course, I don't have a no, Mac you, no, system, no, no. so I, I can't really comment on that. Um, but I hear this from all my colleagues that do use iMacs. Fantastic, lovely, can do pretty much everything you want it to do, but f- f- fine colour tuning sliding onto something that really is bespoke for the photographic industry yeah i mean i've got benq's as well um i've got the 32 and the 27 um the 4k ones i've no idea what canadian dollars what's 2000 canadian dollars in uh in our world hang on mm-hmm. 2000 cad in sterling is two shillings four and a half one thousand so it's roughly half so right. one thousand one hundred pounds so he's looking for something in the well two hundred pounds to four hundred pound range really oh, i don't Not really know that. For that no i don't think there's anything I, I i can think of at all that's available for that i mean there are monitors that you can get i, yeah. I bought one when my when i had a, a an issue with my monitor i had to get a, a one a standing one and i got a um what's the dell dell one that you've got BenQ one, I got a cheap BenQ, but it was it was a wide one, and that was oh, only right. about four hundred pounds. But it's right. it's only HD, it's not a color yeah. accurate one. So the one I did end up getting is yeah, this Dell um, forty. Uh, well, the, the the product name is U four O two one QW. But that doesn't fit into his budget at all. That one, <laughs> uh, I wouldn't have thought so. No, no this is this is no. probably well, this is about sixteen hundred quid, but yeah. it's phenomenal. Yeah. Forty inches. 5k beautiful the the question that i suppose always remains is what happens when your clients look at a uh, look at a picture on their completely uncalibrated system that they they yeah. they sort of power well, up that's and down what you're on, saying on, on yeah. the bright is there even any know, point is there any point um I, I there is a point because i think as professionals we have to get it right so we at least at our end we can say it's fine when it leaves here i have no idea what you do at your end that is important yeah i think it's important too um although i do i do get the point in hand uh in that most people will probably be looking at things on phones and ipads these days and what have you um but yeah i think it's i think we have a, a kind of responsibility to try and get it right as much as possible yeah, i think so uh, well, thank you for your question. Now, we do need more questions now. Uh, more thoughts, more questions, things that you are doing with your photographic life. Um, there's two ways to do it. You can either send it to click at fujicast.co.uk or you can pop it in the Facebook group or if you're a patron, send it through the patron channels or channel. Um, or, of course, like James Saws, just send it with beer. Um, there is that choice as well. But we, uh, we, we need more. We need more. We do this every summer, don't we? Yeah. I'm telling you, Kev, we should have we should have August off the podcast as well. You have August off weddings. We should do it off the podcast as well. Then it would be a massive mailbag when you when you got back in. Um, but if you've liked this or any of the week's shows, thank you. If you can, of course, feel it's relevant, then you uh, can leave a review for us. Um, or if you can share the episode on Twitter or on Facebook, you are a star. Thank you to our guest this week, who's uh, Adrian R. Bibb. Send your questions to, as I said, click at fujicast.co.uk or in the Facebook group as well. Thank you to those supporting the show by Patreon. 
Uh, music from Blue Wednesday, supporting music from the incredible artlist.io. Um, Kev's going back to wedding planning. <laughs> I'm not sure yeah. how, mu how much are you doing? How much is Gemma doing? To be fair, Kev, she's doing a lot. Uh, well, there's not a lot to be done, really. Just tell people to turn up. That's it, isn't it. Kev, you sound like the typical bloke that gets up at a wedding and in his wedding speech he says, these weddings, they sort of plan themselves by themselves, don't they? I'm going to be doing the country music. <laughs> I'm going to be doing the line dancing, late night line dancing. Is that the disco? Country music? Yeah, too right. Oh, do you know what? I'm, I'm away doing a wedding that day, but I almost, I, feel, I almost feel like I want to sort of come via the the uh, the party at the end just to see you doing a bit of a country set are you gonna well, use your don't, don't forget your stetson <laughs> are you gonna use your double decks yeah i am i'm gonna spin it all up kev double decks country right. boyo country boyo that's it for this week we'll see you next week bye bye, bye. the foodie cast is an independent loading zone production email the show with your questions and words of wisdom to click at fujicast.co.uk Email any complaints and political nonsense to our wives who will deal with your comments in their own good time and in their own good way.